Spencer, this week's episode of the Velvet Podcast brought to us by our good friends at Health IQ. Fred, I noticed that you haven't really been putting your rides on Strava lately. No, they're far too pathetic. I'm a real Strava hound. Yeah. I like to keep an eye on people on Strava. Um, but, you know, it's more than just KOMs, actually, because Health IQ, they will uh, give you a better rate on your life insurance if you can prove that you're a healthy, fit guy. And one of the ways you could do that is with Strava, actually, which oh is kind of kind of surprising. It's more than just KOMs. That's true. The limitless value of Strava. And also, I believe, race results. You can upload these things to Health IQ, and they will give you a better rate on life insurance. Health IQ advocates for healthy and conscious lifestyles. They've used science and data to secure special rates on life insurance for health-conscious people like us, uh, cyclists, runners, strength trainers, even vegans are open to these deals. So get out there. Just dominate Strava, and uh, where can the people upload them? There's a website, right? Well, so go to healthiq.com slash velonews, and that's where you can get your free quote on life insurance. So that's healthiq.com slash velonews. Check it out, and thanks to Health IQ for presenting this episode of the Velonews Podcast. We're back, we're back, we're back, we're back. It is the Velo News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer here with Spencer Paulison. Hello, Spencer. Hey, Fred. How's it going? I'm doing well. Uh, we're here at the Velo News World Headquarters in Boulder, Colorado. And Spencer, you're looking a little lethargic over there, looking a little tired. What's going on there, buddy? What's going <laughs> I've on? I've been riding a lot. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Did uh, did a couple pretty big rides this weekend. Yeah, you did. I looked at your yep. Strava. You're you're putting in like hundreds of miles out there. Well, yeah. You know, the reason why, Fred, and this is it's a very noble purpose. It's not just about me. Okay. I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be heading over to France for the Haute Route Pyrenees, and I'm doing that just so that I can present a very special podcast series to our dear, dear listeners. It will start on Sunday, and uh, it's a seven-day sportive race. And this daily podcast is not really going to be just about the day of riding. You know, you guys don't want to hear about that. No, That's, no one wants to hear about your no, result. No, no, no. We're going to get into some interesting stuff. I've got some great research on these amazing climbs in the Pyrenees, some racing history, uh, we'll talk about the region. We'll even talk about some of the wines of the region. It'll be a little travelogue type thing every day. We'll keep it pretty tight, keep it pretty short, so we won't have you falling asleep at the wheel. But uh, I hope it will be entertaining to you all. So stay tuned. Um, that mini series podcast will get going this weekend, and uh, that's why I'm riding my bike so much. Wait, so the whole route, like, don't don't sell yourself short here. This is like a big, burly, zillions of feet of climbing every single day, total suffer fest. Meters type actually, because oh, it's in meters Europe. Meters of yeah. climbing. You know, sorry, it. sorry. <laughs> what what are you? What kind of pain and torturous riding conditions are you going to be putting yourself through, Spencer? Uh, yeah, lots of lots of tough climbs. Uh -huh. You know, there's uh, uh, just the biggest climbs in the in the Pyrenees. You know, some of the ones we saw, some of the ones we saw in the Tour de France this year. Uh, Paris Ewards in there Ooh. and. Um, Tourmalade, it should be great, um, but uh, been trying to trying to get fit for it well, as best I can. Poor you, poor you. Uh, have you been on a uh, very extensive doping regimen, Spencer? Because after watching this uh, Icarus film oh, yeah. on uh, Netflix, I'm now convinced that you know if you want to go do the Hot Route, wow, you have to yeah. be like this director guy and like go on a full freaking EPO and human growth hormone cycle. Wow, you know, Fred, I think I really, I really missed the boat on that one. Yeah, just I, turn yourself into a human science experiment. And I'm just, I'm just not really up to snuff as a true capital J journalist, because <laughs> if I was going to be serious about it, I would, I would do that, first of all, you know, a little ego boost, and, yeah. you know, but 
if I'd been doing that, maybe I would uncover another uh, doping scandal in some uh, yeah. some uh, national governing body. Russia already, you know, taken with the Icarus thing, but uh, yeah, maybe, Kyrgyzstan or something. Maybe like China. That. Maybe China's getting in on the action. Little, uh, they, yeah, they've the, got an Olympics coming up, don't they? The proverbial uh, walking along, trip over your uh, untied shoelaces, <laughs> and fall into the largest doping scandal of the last 20 years. Uh, it's some good capital J journalism. I don't know. I, well, for, for the listeners who are not following, by the way, this is a movie on Netflix yeah, right now. Yeah, I suggest Icarus. everyone go check out Icarus on Netflix. It's a very entertaining watch. Um, it uncovers the inner workings of the Russian, Russian doping uh, regimen from 2015. But I, I got to say this. I'm going to get on my soapbox right here. Okay. Because the movie, the filmmakers set out to make a film about um, him using PEDs and and then competing in the halt route <laughs> against a bunch of other amateurs, and to 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 show how easy it is to beat today's doping tests. Which I don't know. I feel like if you're just sort of a if you follow cycling at all, if you're a cursory cycling fan, you uh, understand how easy it is to uh, beat today's doping tests. Or if you're a fan of any major sport, right? right, uh, right. Basketball, NFL, football. Uh, <laughs> so soapbox <laughs> time. Uh... For the last 10 years, we've been seeing people um, use PEDs, like journalists, filmmakers, whatever. People in media use PEDs for their various like media projects. I think we can put an end to that. Can people, can we put an end to this practice? Like, I just don't need to see any more, like, writers or filmmakers Time out of death. there. Yeah. Time of death. Time of death. 11.15 on a Tuesday in Boulder, Colorado. Especially since this guy made doping look like super fun, just like just you're hanging out with your bros and like doing epo, and it's like cruising around SoCal in your rented Lexus, just yeah. looks awesome. Yeah, be cool to do that in Austin too. I bet, huh? Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> super fun, super fun, super relatable. Uh, guys, on today's show, um, we have a lot coming at you. First of all, Spencer and I are going to chat about the tour of Utah, which wrapped up the other day the fun, extra fun tour of Utah. And then we are going to bring on Andy Hood, a European correspondent, to talk about cycling's silly season. We have so many rider transfers going on. Um, and we talk about the big ones. We talk about some speculation. And Hoodie had some good takes on sort of the 30,000-foot view. Of He's, this a real He's a insider. He's a real insider. We're here, you know, just kind of sitting in our basements in our underwear, punching away at our silly ideas and takes and opinions, but Hoodie's on the ground, yeah. talking to the managers, talking to the riders. He's the guy. So we got the inside line for you listeners, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, he's uh, he's doing lots of journalism with capital J over there in Spain. Yeah. Um, but Spencer, let's get into it. The Tour of Utah, America's race, America's toughest stage race, uh, wrapped up this past week. Um, in previous years, this has been a real battle royale between World Tour teams and the Continental teams from the U.S., sort of in the tradition of Tour of Missouri, USA Pro Challenge, Old Tour of California, all the races where it ends up being a big battle between domestic versus foreign. This year, the domestic guys just kind of like spiked the ball on the foreign team. Um, we had Holowesco Citadel, two stage wins. We had Jelly Belly, KOM, guy on the podium. We had UHC. Uh, they bought, they won the points jersey. They won a stage as well with McCabe. McCabe, they had Gavin Mannion in second place. And then to top it off, we had Team Rally. Just cap off an awesome year for them. Rob Britton winning the overall, winning the stage three time trial. And um, we we got to we got to talk about the performance of the one the poor one 
world tour team here, Team BMC. I mean, they weren't total slouches. They won the second stage. They won the Team GC, but didn't necessarily dominate to the level that at least I thought they might. Um, so what are the takes here? What are some takes around BMC at the Tour of Utah? Well, you know, we could we could obviously we could just rip them. Yeah, we oh, could. They suck. <laughs> we could be totally irrational and just say something like, "This is, you know, embarrassing. They should have won it overall. They should have won everything." But it's not so simple, right? I mean, these guys, a lot of those BMC riders have very very big priorities on their race calendars beyond just Tour Utah. No disrespect, you know, this is a World Tour team, so we're talking. Tour de France, we're talking Giro d'Italia, all the classics in the springtime. These guys, they obviously, I'm sure a lot of them wanted to be in Utah, wanted to race there, but they probably didn't specifically prepare for it like a rally rider would, like Rob Britton would. Yeah, you know, Utah, it's a big old, big old, big old race on the calendar if you're a continental rider. And if you're a world tour guy, who um, is, you know, kind of a lower level world tour guy, a development rider, some, like some of the riders that we saw at Utah this year. You know, Utah is another race on the calendar. And yeah, maybe you're trying to peak for it to do well at it, but a lot of times, you know, it, it would have been interesting to see when the roster was actually set for Utah for BMC. Um, I know Brent Bookwalter, you know, we thought he was going to be at the Tour de France this mm-hmm. year. He was on the Dauphiné squad, didn't make it to the Tour, kind of had a, a schedule reshuffling. So he went into Utah. I mean, it seemed like he was pretty fit. He won that stage too. Yeah. But at the altitude, you know, that's the other thing about Utah is that you're talking about 8,000, 9,000 feet. You know, that time trial was just a nine-kilometer climb at 8,000 feet. Being acclimated makes a big difference. Being acclimated makes a real big difference. And, you know, chapeau to Rob Britton. Yeah, he's Uh, prepared. He was ready to go. We checked his uh, social media feed. He'd spent a couple weeks up here outside of Boulder, actually, up in Netherland, riding up in the thin air, doing his intervals, getting ready, and uh, really proved it. You know, he won that time trial and then Rally was able to defend the lead. And, you know, this is a big old result for uh, Rob. I've interviewed Rob many times over the years. He's one of these guys who's been on the bubble for a long time. You know, probably the talent to make it to the World Tour, but just a little long in the tooth. I mean, he's 32, which isn't that old. But, you know, when you're talking about making the jump, so the World Tour is not there. And he's and, kind of knocked around on Continental teams yep. since 2010. But, uh, you know, all solid teams, Bissell, Smart Stop. But uh, Rally seems like a good good spot for him right now. And hopefully with them moving up to Pro Continental, it'll be an opportunity. Yeah, you know, third place at the USA Pro Challenge, uh, I believe two years ago. That was sort of the result where it was like, okay, this is probably the best stage racer in the uh, domestic peloton. Yeah, he won Tour Gila that year as well, 2015, yep. yeah. So to have a big win like this... That's a big old result for him. And yeah, like you said, you know, Rally has been, is sort of the worst kept secret in the domestic peloton that they're aggressively trying to make the jump to pro-continental, which is a step up from continental next year. Um, that could allow them to do more European races, have guaranteed entry into a race like Tour of California. And you got to figure that uh, Rob's win in Utah is sort of confirmation that that team deserves to be there. First Canadian to win it overall, too. Hey, so, we go, eh? Sorry about that. Sorry about that, Americans. Yeah, sorry to come win your race and all. Um, back to BMC. Um, you know, do we want to? Do we want to say like, you know, you, if you're going to show up, you you better win, or do we want to give them some slack? I say we give them some slack. I think we should give them some credit because they're the only World Tour team to do this to make it a priority, and I think we should probably put Track Segafredo and Canada Drapak in the in the hot seat a little bit Ooh. for for not showing up and. 
let's face it, this is a great stage race. It's a hard stage race. Those are the two other American registered World Tour teams. And as far as I'm concerned, they should be at this race also to, uh, you know, show support for it. And frankly, I think the riders, the American riders on those teams would like to do the, to do the Tour of Utah, would like to. The, 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 I've seen a lot of them are excited for the, for the Colorado Classic, which starts on Thursday this week. And um, I can't imagine why they wouldn't feel the same way about Utah since this is another home race. Yeah. Chapeau, BMC. Thank you for fielding a team for this race. And I know that talking to the domestic riders, they like it when the World Tour teams it's show up. It's an opportunity. Up. It's like one of the few opportunities of the year they get to test themselves against these riders. So, yeah, I, I would like to see more World Tour teams come back to Utah. Keep that tradition alive. Um, okay, Spencer, we got to catch up with Andy Hood because we have so much weird stuff going on in the World Tour right now with rider transfers. We yeah. have guys switching teams. We have Daniel Haas. Is he going to cut his hair or not? We just don't know. <laughs> um, let's, uh, let's catch up with Hoodie here. All right, here we go. Spencer, what kind of race results you've been getting lately? Ooh, Fred, uh, got, a, got a few top 30s uh, in the crits, in the uh. Cat 3 crits. I'm really, really starting to, to find my stride. Uh, I don't know, Spencer. <laughs> you know, once you start getting, like, top 20s, top 15s, you know Ooh. what you can do with those race results? You Brag can, about them? Brag about them, yes. But you can also <laughs> send them over to our good friends at Health IQ to get some great deals on life insurance. Mm. Because Health IQ is now offering great deals to super fit people like us, cyclists, runners, even vegans. And one way you can prove your super fitness is through race results. There you go. It's kind of awesome, actually. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's another reason to do it. And uh, for our listeners, we've got a special opportunity for you to get a free quote on life insurance. Go to healthiq.com slash velonews. And you can just enter your information and see how much money you can save on life insurance. That's healthiq.com slash velonews. Okay, so guys, we are on the line with our man, Andrew Hood, in Spain right now. Andy, have you recovered from the Tour de France? That's my first question for you. Yeah, it was a long recovery after the Tour, isn't it, fellas? I mean, it's like that grind of just uh, getting up early, driving around like a madman, talking to the riders for 15 minutes uh, at the beginning and end of each stage, and then trying to drink as much beer and eat as much uh, Magret de Canard as you can every night. I mean, it's, it's tiring. It's exhausting. It, it's exhausting. Truly exhausting. I hope that Listeners of the Villain News Podcast appreciate the tough work that we do to bring them all of the takes and news on the podcast. But uh, this is, we're right now in the, in the thick of silly season. We are right in the middle of it. We have rider transfers. We have riders jumping from one team to the next. And Hoodie, we wanted to have you on to talk about some of the big transfers that have already happened and their implications on pro cycling for 2018, but also chat about uh, some of the speculations, what's going on in the ether, what people are chatting about at the scene. So I think a good one to start off with, this one came down the other day. We got a big classics man, Daniel Oss, Team BMC. The news is he's he's jumping ship for Greg Van Avermaet and going to the rival team, uh, Bora Hansgro, with Peter Sagan. I mean, this is a this is a big move, not just from not just with its implication on like the Peloton's hairdo, because uh, us great man main joining Peter Sagan shaved head right now, but I can imagine the man main's coming back. But what does this mean just in terms of the balance of power with uh, within the classics? Yeah, I think it's a smart move on the, on the side of Bora. You know, I think that we've seen that that um, your man there, Sagan, is always still kind of isolated deep in these big races. Uh, and having 
us come over from BMC. He's one of the most experienced riders in the Peloton, and I think it's a, a smart move on the, on the side of Bora to kind of to give Sagan that that. That extra support he needs late in the big in the big deep classics, you know, Flanders, Roubaix, San Remo. Those races are all won in that last hour of racing, and we've seen over the last couple of years, Ose has the legs to be there when it counts. So one question I'm wondering: the Bora team will also add Peter Kenya from Team Sky, and uh, I'm wondering whether he will be playing another role as a, as a support rider in those classics for Sagan. Or if maybe Bora is going to find some other races to use him at, perhaps more as a lead rider, perhaps maybe as a classic sprinter type guy. Yeah, I think the buzz there was that uh, Kinnick's going to have his chances to race in some of these one-week stage races, give him a chance at leadership at races like uh, Paris Nice or Catalonia, and then go to the Tour to maybe kind of be a man who could maybe hunt for some stages in the medium mountains, maybe even help uh, Micah in the GC battle. Micah's kind of their man now. He's still trying to get a top five at the Tour. Uh, I think Kenick, you know, it's a chance for him to have that freedom to ride for himself. Yeah, I guess for some reason I thought he was a little more of a sprinter, but I, now that you say it, he is more of a uh, climbing all-rounder guy, isn't he? So back to us, this has these huge implications because, first of all, the, the storyline around Peter Sagan the last few years at the Classics has been like, oh, he's out there doing it all by himself. He has this weak team, you know, this bunch of scrubs who aren't able to support him, and he has to go freelance. Like, first of all, doesn't have that excuse anymore. He's got Daniel effing Oss on his team. Like, the guy's a total hammer. Guy can ride over the cobblestones. He was in the break at Roubaix. Uh, but second of all, I mean, do we see this now as, like, is Oss a card to play for the win? Or is he a support rider here? What role do we think he's going to be playing? Yeah, I think any rider with Sagan is going to be plan B, right? <laughs> I mean, Sagan is one of those, one of those kind of once-in-a-lifetime riders. Whenever he's in the race, he's racing to win. Oh, is going to be there kind of as, as, a, as an insurance policy, right? I mean, he'll be there just in case we see, you know, it's happened before with Sagan. He crashes out. He gets a puncture at the wrong time. Oh, is up the road. And uh, until... Sagan can get back in the frame, he'll have that chance. That's why you see these big uh, these big classics teams bringing two or three cards to every major race. Even when Bonin was uh, the man there at Quick Step, Nicky Terpster won Perry Raid. Other riders get their chances in these kind of scenarios because it is so chaotic. It's a one-day race. It's just balls to the wall to the finish line, and stuff happens. So that's giving not only more support to Sagan, but the team kind of an extra card to play as well. Yeah, I'm kind of bummed out with it. I mean, I, I was hoping that if uh, Oss was going to be, be making a move from BMC, he'd be going to be in a leadership role for the Classics, be the Classics guy. But I don't know. I mean, do we see him as a guy with the chops and the strength to win a Classics, or do we still see him as pretty much uh, you know, second-tier support guy? I think Oss is one of those guys that could win the Robe one year. I mean, you, that Robay is that one race of the year where you get these kind of one-off winners, these guys that are out there hammering every year, year in, year out. You got winners like uh, these random winners that just pop through, like uh, Matt Heyman, uh, Stuart O'Grady, Van Sumeren a few years ago. And that's just the kind of guy that Daniel Ose is. He's a guy that can go deep in these races. And sometimes when the luck falls your way, uh, the, the road's wide open at Perry Robay. And that's where he might get that win someday because Flanders is a much more controlled race. The other classics are similar and kind of much more controlled effort from the big teams. But man, Paris-Roubaix, as you guys know, it's just a free-for-all. Well, I don't know. This year's Flanders was kind of a wild one in terms of uh, Philippe Gilbert getting off the front and riding solo for that long. I guess that was kind of a bit of an anomaly. Yeah, but that you, you saw Sagan crashed with uh, Van Evermatt. 
you know, he might have been been caught in that last uh, 25k. That's one of those you'll never know, you'll never know situations. But yeah, that's why we love the classics, right? I Man, we never know what's gonna happen. So, uh, my last take on this with uh, us is that from you know from like a, a LinkedIn like CV updating <laughs> per- perspective, like this is a lateral move, man. Like you're not, I don't, I don't see this as like a, a vertical move. You're not like stepping into the senior vice president role. This is like I don't know. You're staying in sort of middle management, like. I get it. You know, he's probably getting paid more, which is great, but I don't know if he's going to get any more looks uh, at Bora Hansgrohe as he would at BMC. I think he's still, he's like, he's, he's, not, he's not padding his CV here. Lateral move. <laughs> yeah, but who, who would you rather be hanging out with day in, day out? Peter Sagan or Greg oh, Van Avermaet? I mean, no, no, nothing, against, nothing against Van Avermaet. Super nice guy. Quality rider. I mean, the guy is a stud. There's no doubt about it. But man, just to be in Sagan's immediate orbit would be pretty, pretty much uh, worth that move no, for that's me. True. All right, moving on. Uh, next big uh, transfer that we that is that is guaranteed that has been announced. We have Mikel Nieve leaving Fortress Froome and Team Sky, going to Orica Scott to it seems like be a domestique again. He's not going to be stepping into a GC role. Um, there, are, there are a lot of questions I have for you, Hoodie. You know, we've seen in the past uh, guys like Richie Port leave Team Sky in a support role to go be a Grand Tour leader with, you know, varying levels of success. But I'm trying to remember the last time we saw one of Team Sky's, like, A-plus domestiques go someplace else to also ride as a domestique. Have we seen that before? I think we have. I just can't remember where. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot there. <laughs> But I think it's I think it's uh, I mean it's definitely a lateral move for Nivea, but maybe a little bit of job security yeah. as well. Um, Team Sky is so deep; they could, they have enough to fill two uh, Tour de France squads. Well, the guy that comes to mind now is uh, Nicolas Roche. You know, he was there uh, Team Sky two or three years. He went to BMC to be there with Richie at Richie's uh, request, Richie Port. Um, but I think this will give. Nieve perhaps even a, a larger role in that domestique role. I mean, he will be one of the go-to guys, uh, along with Roman Kritziger, perhaps, giving him more of a, a higher-profile super domestique as opposed to uh, at Fortress Firm, you just one more guy flogging to even get on the tour team. I'm sure that's a big fight for those guys. We saw Whoop Poles this year didn't make it. A few of the guys every year. There's two or three, four big riders at Team Sky who don't even go to the tour because that team is so deep. So I think going to Arica, they probably offer him kind of you know better possibilities because for sure you're on our tour team knowing going into even already next season. And they've got an exciting program there. they got uh, Esteban Chavez, the two Yates brothers, uh, you know Matt White's probably one of the best sport directors in the in the in the peloton, and plus you're on uh, Aurica. They're a bunch of Aussies. I mean, who would you rather be hanging out with, uh, Dale, uh, uh, <laughs> Dave Brailsford in the Darth Vader bus, or hanging out with the Aurica boys? You know, drinking Fosters after every stage. I mean, come so we on. have two moves that you maybe possibly are chalking up to just like the uh, good move, vibes, the good vibes, good, good vibes, vibes just hanging out with some bros. Yeah, I mean. I love Orica too, man. If I was going to be on a pro team, I'd want to be on that team. I mean, look at Mitch Docker. God, what an amazing mustache and mullet. And um, they've also got a guy who's got such an awesome name, something like Mitch Power or something like that. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what it was. I saw it the other day, and I was just – 
in awe of how cool this guy's name they was. They hand out the inflatable guitars at some of the races. They're making videos. Esteban Chavez is just like hopping around hugging people. It does seem like a real good vibes team. <laughs> Happiest team in the peloton. We should do good vibes rankings Ooh, of the uh, world tour I like that. at some point. I like that. The good vibes ranking. I, it's going to be hard to beat Orica in that ranking. Um, so can we say now for sure, Hoodie, that, you know, Mikkel Nieve leaves... Uh, Team Sky, Fortress Room's just going to crumble, just fall apart. They just uh, There's no way that he's going to win the tour because Mikel Nieve bailed out. I, I think it's too soon to write those boys <laughs> off. Uh, any other takes? Nieve takes? Uh, yeah, no, I, like I said, he's going to have a lot of fun on that Orca team. And uh, I, I think we're going to see one of the Yates twins or possibly Chavez win the Giro or the Vuelta in the next year or two. Yeah. Yeah, they're 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 knocking on the door. Probably not the tour, but Giro or Vuelta for me, I think it's likely. Got a, a snoozy transfer to talk about here. Alexander Kristoff, recently crowned European champion, sprinter extraordinaire. Uh, he's going to UAE from Katusha. Um, I mean, it's big. He's a sprinter. He can win races. He's won Flanders. Not the most exciting guy out there. Not exactly a headline grab, but uh, what does this do to the the balance of sprinting power in the World Tour peloton, Eddie? Probably keeps it pretty much where it is. <laughs> because Kristoff has not really been a factor in the major sprints, has he, in the last two years? It's been two years since he won a Tour de France stage. This year, he was banging on the door, but really was not close. Uh, I think he got second and maybe even a third, but he was getting blown wheels off him every day in the tour this year. And I know there was a, there was a lot of frustration inside the Katusha bus about his performances. He was getting frustrated as well because he wasn't delivering like he knew he should be and wanted to be. So I think sometimes just changing teams can actually do a lot for these guys just psychologically. I mean, again, imagine being on that Katusha bus, man. I mean, I don't know, you know, that Russian mentality is probably not the most uh, invigorating yeah. when you're not winning low races. On the, low I'm on sure the good you... vibes ranking. Real low on the good vibes, vibes ranking. Bottom feeder. <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, I'm sure the, the vodka's flowing when they win, but man, when it's uh, when they're not winning, you know, they're off to the gulag. But I know, who knows? But I think in serious, uh, being serious, I think for him changing teams is going to actually do him some good and the other half of that scenario is you know who's going to come in to take his place the big rumor floating around now is does Kittle come in I mean Kittle uh, is a perfect fit for that team in the sense that uh, Alpeson is a German sponsor the Katusha co-sponsor Kittle um, has great hair there's a lot of rumors Kittle has go- great hair Kittle has great hair he, he, and he is an exciting charismatic rider he brings a lot to the table both in terms of media that would give a lot to Katusha that team is kind of uh, you know after they lost uh, Perito Rodriguez retired in the last season not a lot of uh, you know explanation marks run around that team these days and they got Zachary you know finally kind of a Russian GC contender that's where the team's going on that side of the equation Tony Martin didn't really have a great uh, time trial season, but he's always consistent uh, in the, against the clock. And then, uh, you know, I think that Kittle going there makes sense as well because there's a whole question of how much money Quick Step is going to have. You know, they have overabundance of sprinters. We were talking earlier before the show just how we have uh, Gaviria, Alaphilippe, Dan Martin, and Marcel Kittle, four big names. They all want more money. From what well, my sources say, there's only room for two of those guys mm. to stay. So Kittle sliding across makes sense, but man, he had a great tour. 
won four stages. So I have a Kittle story. Uh, it's the final day of the tour. Kaylee and I are hanging out a couple blocks from the Champs-Élysées, waiting for the riders to get there, just doing some work in a cafe. Look across the street, and I see this, this dude wearing like a hoodie and dark glasses, full-on like incognito James Bond style. But the closer I look, I'm like, wait, that's like a six-foot-five German dude with huge hair. It's Marcel Kittle. And he's just like walking the streets of Paris, like trying to keep a low profile, and then sits down on this park bench. So I'm like, like Kaylee and I were looking at this guy, we're like, is that Marcel Kittle? Is that, or is that like Dolph Lundgren? Like, who is this person? So I just walked up to him and sat down next to him. I'm like, hey man, like, oh, you are Marcel Kittle. Well, you know, well, you want to do an interview or something? He's like, nah, beat it. I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing an interview with some German TV station. I'm supposed to meet him here. But uh, it, was, it was really funny to see him walking around secret agent style. And, you know, no one bugged him except for me. So sorry, Marcel Kittle. Didn't mean to blow your cover. So, so with, that, um, with that quick step team, you're saying, you know, with, with Gaviria, with Kittle, with Alaphilippe, who else are we talking? We're Gilbert. Also, uh, well, Gilbert is already signed. Yeah. So um, the other question mark, I think, is Dan, Dan, Dan Martin. Martin. So let's play a little game. Who's Of, of those four riders, who are you going to ditch if you're in charge of the quick step team uh, and, you, and, you, and you can only have three of those four? Uh, yeah, yeah I, I, would go, uh, I would always go with the future. You got Gaviria. He's coming up, man. He's going to win a lot of races. He's going to win San Remo. He's going to win a lot of tour stages. Uh, the kid is is the new saga, and I think you want to keep him in house, build a team around him, and man, you got your meal ticket for the next four or five years. Patrick Lefevre, he likes that good so one. He needs a winner. Who are you man. getting rid of? I would say I would you know if you had to make that really, uh, I mean I guess there would be some room I think for Kittle and Gaviria in the same team. If you had to really make that cold choice, you know maybe maybe get rid of uh, Dan Martin, you know. Reluctantly, I mean, he's a quality rider, you know, Arden winner, Grand Tour contender, you know, great guy, but he wants a lot of money. He's at the peak years of his contract time. So, you know, if, if Byron or one of these other teams or Astana is offering Dan Martin, you know, $2 million a year, that's money you can spread around and give a little bit to Gaviria, Alaphilippe, another big winner coming up, and, and maybe keep Kittle another round for another year or two. Yeah, I'm with you, Hoodie. I would actually ditch Philippe, even though he is young and has a lot of potential. Um, I think you keep Kittle for maybe one or two more years and let him win a bunch of more tour stages. The hard part, though, is balancing the desires of Kittle and um, Gaviria. Because at a certain point, Gaviria, I mean, he's so good, he's going to be wanting to be the guy going to the tour to try and win the green jersey. He's going to be the guy wanting to like start you know, amassing his tour stage victory uh, lineup. So I think at a certain point, you're right, man. It's just looking at like, you know, old versus new. And uh, I'm not saying Kittle's old, but, uh, you know, if you can take a chance on a guy who has the ability to be Kittle and then some, eh, I think you take that chance. Yeah, I, I think I'm getting rid of Kittle in this situation because I agree with you, Hoodie. Gaviria's got a huge future ahead of him. Kittle's going to still have some great years. Uh, oof, it is a tough one, though. I, I do like how Dan Martin can factor in those grand tours now after what we saw at the Tour de France and Alaphilippe, man, yeah, he's um, 
I feel like Alaphilippe's a good one-week racer and a backup plan for some of the Ardennes if Gilbert or Ian Martin's not quite there for the for the Ardennes. But it's a tough choice. Yeah, tough choices. My question would be: if there's only room on the on the boat for two of us, and there's me. <laughs> Fred, <laughs> Spencer, who do you throw off, boys? Come on. I was a swimmer in college, so you know I'm I'm like Kittle. I think I can uh, I think I can find my way into uh, you know a new team pretty easily. Swim swim over there, my incognito dark glasses on, and get some fancy shampoo. Um, all right, so hoodie. We also like okay. Those are all those are all transfers that we know are happening. But now this is the fun part. This is the speculation part because if there's one thing that we love about silly season, it's all of the speculation about where riders are going. And uh, I mean, we've been on Mika Landa watch 2017 since what stage 13 of the Tour de France. You know, that's been the big storyline is what's going to happen with Mika Landa. Curious if you have any updates or any uh, any new potential storylines floating around out there in Spain. Yeah, the hot rumor in Spain, of course, is he's going to Movistar. Uh, I spoke to uh, Asubio and Zue last week for another story I was working on and uh, asked him about it. He started just doing a Charlie Chaplin dance. I don't know what dance it was, but he was dancing across the table there. I was trying to pin him down on, uh, you know, is he going to sign? Uh, is he going to sign Landa? And of course. Uh, you know, Valverde with his injury is a big question mark. Does he come back to be the same rider that he was? And they also want to have a, the top Spanish rider on that team. Uh, that's been a tradition of that franchise since back in the 80s. They've always had the marquee Spanish rider on Movistar Benesto franchise, with the exception of Alberto Contador. He never rode with Enzue. So Landa really is seen within Spain as the next big GC rider. You know, he's proven it already. So they're trying to get him. The big question is, you know, is there room there for Landa and Quintana? Um, of course, the other big rumor going around is that Quintana was unhappy at uh, Movistar and wants to break his contract and leave. But Quintana's got two more years with those guys. So I don't know. To break that contract, it would cost another team quite a bit of money. And, you know, does really is really Quintana, after the season he had this year, is he going to be warranted? Does he warrant that big of a buyout from somebody? Maybe one of these teams has so much money, like Emirates. The rumor going on Emirates, they have thirty million dollars. So maybe maybe they have the money to buy out Quintana. And so if that's the case, they want Landa for sure. Hoodie, along those same lines, where do we see Fabio Aru going? Well, the rumor coming out uh, just today on the Head News Blot is that uh, uh, following the announcement of Contador's retirement on Monday, that Fabio Aru is next in line to move into Trek Segafredo. Uh, that makes sense on a couple levels, you know, because Segafredo, of course, is an Italian company. They want an Italian rider. They tried to get Nibali last year, but he was committed already to Byron. Uh, the team manager there, Luca Gorcellena, he's an Italian. He wants to have an Italian guy in the team. They're trying to build up that Italian kind of roots within the team. It's still American in spirit. You know, it's owned and uh, sponsored by Trek. But, uh, you know, there's a deep kind of a, a, a sense of uh, urgency to get a big Italian rider on that team. Will Aru leave Astana? I mean, again, I think it comes down to money. I mean, Astana, without Aru, what do they have? You know, they're, they're left with uh, Jacob Fuglesan. Um, <laughs> close, close enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, maybe, Lars. <laughs> maybe maybe, uh, maybe Vinukarov will come out of retirement. 
Oh god, he looked fit. I saw uh, him at I the tour. Not. He looked. I, f- he's been definitely been like doing his intervals and uh, keeping a good diet. I hope not. <laughs> so if that happens, I think I think the interesting thing yeah is with Aru. So let's say Aru goes to Trek. Like that sets in motion this weird musical chairs type scenario, which you know you see this in mainstream sports sometimes, where it's like all these moves are waiting for like the first shooter to drop. And if like, if that shoe drops then it's like, okay, Astana has money and they're hungry for someone, you know, okay, what does that mean for Landa? Is it movie star? Is it back to Astana? Um, you know, it's almost like you need that first rider, big marquee rider to move in order to like make the other teams hungry enough to start anteing up. Cause I, like, for example, I see movie star, like they'd love to have Landa, but they don't, they don't need Landa. But if Aru bails on Astana, like Astana needs needs somebody. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that read. Uh, if Aru leaves Astana, you're right. It could set up this chain reaction. It would just drive up the prices of these GC guys. And to me, I've been surprised actually how active the uh, the rider market's been this year because we've had no team closures. We've had no new teams come on to the into the World Tour League, but. And there's been a lot of writers who've re-upped their contracts. You've had guys, you know, Dumoulin, Bardet, Richie Porte. All these writers have firmed up their contracts to stay on the same teams they're on. So I've been really surprised at how active this uh, silly season's been. And, you know, it's always so much fun just to speculate. So, Hoodie, what about Rigo Uran? I think that's that's one GC name we could talk about possibly moving around. Yeah, the word on the street is that Rigo is going to stay at Cannondale. Uh Unconfirmed reports suggest that uh, there's money there to keep Rigo in-house. Evidently, everyone was very happy with how Rigo rode, of course, at the at the tour this year. But Rigo, his value has just gone through the roof. So he's a guy that he could easily get tempted away by someone offering him a big, fat $2 million contract or more. Hey, Rigo, come ride at Emirates. Come ride at Beiran. Come be our guy at Astana. Aru's going to Trek. So that's how this dynamic can change very fast. So that's why you see these big names signing so early because they don't want that a guy like Roman Bardet to be tempted away. You know, who knows? Maybe Emirates will offer him five million bucks, and a lot of guys have a hard time saying no to that. But the word we're hearing now is that Iran's staying at uh, at Cannondale next season, but. Time will tell on that one. All that, uh, all that sweet oath cash, all the big oath That's checks right. coming in to uh, Cannondale, you know, from uh, like like people like selling ads on HuffPo and uh, all the other weird media assets that they own. Hey, hoodie, what about uh, American rider TJ Van Garter and his BMC contract is going to end this year? Do you think he's going to stick with that team, or is he uh, is he going to have to find another team now that Richie Port's really their guy for the tour? Yeah, that's another interesting scenario in terms of where he might fit in somewhere. Um, it seems like a lot of the Americans kind of eventually drift toward or land on Cannondale, um, but there might not be room for a TJ on Cannondale. Depends on how much money he's asking, because... Um, you know, the fact that his GC uh, hopes have kind of flamed out the last couple of years, his asking price will go down dramatically. Uh, despite the fact that he won a Giro stage for a rider of his kind of background and uh, what he's done in the past, his pedigree, would suggest that he should be Tour de France podium boy right now. That was the trajectory he was on. Uh, didn't quite fulfill that. So, yeah, you know, the buzz I was hearing, his asking price will have to come down. You know, my guess is that he will stay at BMC. I think that the you know the team will need somebody to kind of be there as a, as an option behind Richie. Maybe not even be on the tour program anywhere. We just say, hey, 
TJ, you know, you're going to be our Giro man and Welta guy for another year. Here's a contract offer. You know, chances are he'd take that. But having said that, again, if these other teams are looking for some warm bodies to fill out their GC ranks, that's where uh, that's where TJ could maybe find an opening. Well, those are all fun storylines to keep looking after. Uh, Hoodie, I'm going to assign you to Landa Watch 2017. I want you, like, staking out his house, staking out, like, the house of his parents, like, screening his calls. Like, that's, that's, that's your assignment now, being in Spain. Landa Watch. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right, Hoodie. Well, hey, we'll let you get back to your day there, and uh, we will be in touch. All right, guys. Thanks. All this transfer talk, Spencer, has me thinking of a good uh, final question for this week's pod. Uh, let's say you are a world tour team. Let's say you are a world tour rider. This Spencer. is a stretch, very big stretch yes. here. Uh, what team do you want to be transferred to, and why? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so a little earlier, I was saying Orca. You know, is just the funnest team in the peloton. Yeah. But uh, I don't want inflatable wanna, kangaroos. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to do a retread here, though. For the listeners, I got to give them a fresh take on this. So. I'm going to say I would want to transfer to Quick Step. Mm. That way I could do those fun uh, pillow fights in the early season training camps because their uh, sponsor, Energetic, I think, has the mattresses and pillows and you could just frolic around in your chamois and have a pillow fight. Like to me, that the photos alone, I would just do it for that. Oh, Spencer, it's good to know where your uh, priorities lie in hey, life. Got to have a little fun. Pillow fights. Um, if I were to transfer to any team i think that i would want to transfer to that new um danish team being fronted by bjarne reese oh, jeez because uh, as we all know bjarne reese when he was like running like csc and tinkoff he'd have them do these weird like commando trainings right. during uh during training camp they were like hike kilimanjaro one year yeah one year they did like one. danish like uh commando stuff so i would do it just for the commando thing because then ooh, get this mm. fake an injury Oh, hey, Bjarne, I got injured doing weird commando training out for the year. You just get your, get your paycheck the rest of the year. Just chill out. Just chill out. Yeah. And Bjarne, he's also, he's kind of a tender guy, if you remember from Overcoming, when he's, you know, kind of talking to Carlos Sastra. It's just, he's he's a sweet man. I, I bet he would comfort you if you did get injured in one of those scenarios. Yeah. yeah. I bet he'd do all sorts of things for you Ooh, if you okay. needed a little boost of, uh, uh, well, hey, we'd enough. love <laughs> your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on bellnews.com. Subscribe to the Bell News podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of Vela News on Facebook at facebook.com slash Magazine and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash News. The Vela News podcast is produced by Velo News, which is owned by the competitor group. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Vela News podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with a Brooklyn Boogaloo blowout and the Bernard Pretty Classic Soul Drums. Oh, 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 o